the AFC podcast. Just a reminder, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and you can watch our beautiful and lovely faces on YouTube, on our YouTube channel for the AFC. My name is Victoria Fragnito, and I am joined by my co-host, Jim Galizia. Say hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're going to have Chris Guzzo is our day player today. He's our guest for the episode. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about his films, his writing, his directing. He's also a member of the GRIP and TV, for film and TV, the GRIP Local 52. And we're going to be talking to him about his movie of choice, Goodfellas, from 1990. Uh, I think that movie is great, and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But the whole time I'm watching it, I was telling myself, what's the point of this? Like, what, what are they trying to say? Like, what I always try to find the message of the filmmaker. And I think this is one of those movies that there's so many messages that they tried to put in there that I kind of got lost and didn't really get the main message. Like, is it that crime is bad? Is it that gangsters are bad? I mean, like, a film can be, a film can have a million messages or one specific message. And it honestly, I feel like that doesn't always really matter. It depends on what you take from it. So while I can intend for my project to have this specific message, you and your life experience are going to take whatever message from it that you want to take from it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe you did get 50 million messages. Maybe Scorsese meant for there to be a lot of different messages to it, or maybe he meant for like one specific thing, but it is, you know, you are going to take from it what you're going to take from it. Or was he trying to make a certain point and he fucked up and he missed the mark? I mean, I I really don't think that he missed the mark on the film either. at all, but... <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that either. I actually took... Martin Scorsese has a master class out uh, for filmmaking, and his master class can be summed up in about 30 seconds. So when I watched this, I, I had so much respect for Martin Scorsese. I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. I'm going to watch this class. I'm going to come out of it. I'm going to have learned so much and really every you know how they break it up into like multiple videos and stuff every video was like hi i'm martin scorsese and i'm not really that great at lighting but i know what i like and i can say when i don't like something when i do like something and then it would come back in and say i don't know much about costume design but i know what i like and i know what i don't like so his directing style is basically to look at it and say i don't like that let's change that but he can't vocalize. It didn't seem like he could vocalize it in the lesson. Like he couldn't be like, I don't like it because, you know, at least from like a technical aspect, I was like, tell me anything. Like there was no, there was nothing to the masterclass that I like took out of it. Uh, I mean, I obviously, you know, take those masterclasses with a grain of salt. I think that pretty much boils down to he just has really good taste and a really good eye for things and he just trusts that. Yeah. And that's it. Like he, he knows what's in what he wants in bed and mm-hmm. he has a very mm-hmm. specific eye too. Like he always has the same feel. And I feel like certain filmmakers they always like he, he always shoots on film. He always has the same wheelhouse of actors in his movies because he knows how to work with them. He knows how to work with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. Al Pacino, the same, you know, eight people every single movie, and then they interchange out like Ray Liotta or Leonardo DiCaprio, or and then they just keep adding in someone new. Uh, 
a lot of directors are like that though. You yeah, know, they have... everybody finds a team and they continue to work with that team. I have my business partners who we've been working together for a while and we started making random videos for YouTube and then it morphed into a videography company and then we were shooting weddings and we're doing filmmaking, we're doing a little bit of everything, but I work with them on everything. So, and then you and this podcast and, uh, <laughs> and me. <laughs> we're, we're, like, we're, we're like that one table at the middle school that we don't let anyone else sit with us. <laughs> I us wish I was that cool in middle school. <laughs> I could be like, no, don't sit with me. <laughs> were, you, were you a mean girl in high school? Is that you? No. I was I was a theater nerd who didn't come out of the artistic wing. I literally like <laughs> I I skipped lunch. I got permission to not go to lunch and I would sit in the music director's office and do work for the music department. I did the same thing for we had like film and TV electives and I would just go there and I would just video edit and I was I was almost like a teacher's assistant at certain points where I would walk in and he would have a class going on and I would just be like I'm just going to hang out <laughs> and I would just sit in the corner. And then, like, he was like, if you're going to be here, you're going to help me do this, or you're going to do that. And I was like, sure, I just don't want to be in my other class that I was probably supposed to be in. Right. He never questioned it. He was, he was never like, shouldn't you be in math right now? And I was like, do I need <laughs> geometry? Do I need it? Like, I don't think so. I'm not going to be an engineer. I'm going to be a filmmaker. I knew at that point. So it was like, I can get a, I can get a C in geometry. It's fine. As long as it's passing, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Fucking chemistry. Not past chemistry. Um, I never took chemistry. Lucky you, because I went to summer school for it, and that was terrible. I think I was really lucky in high school because I, I known since I was like seven years old, I wanted to be an actor and do something in theater. Um, and so I just didn't play the game in high school of like taking AP classes so I can make my GPA higher. It mm. probably should have played the game a little bit to like get more scholarship money and stuff like that. But like, I didn't, I didn't care about that stuff. I wanted yeah. to take theater, more theater classes and stuff like that. So you were only required to take three years of a science and it wasn't even, you had to take earth science, then biology, and then you could pick anything for your third year and anything for your fourth year. So my third year, I took astronomy ocean, and oceanography, and then I didn't take anything my senior year. So I was like, why? Where, Am I going to use it? The, the people listening to this podcast are like, what the fuck is this podcast about? <laughs> I know. You know what? Let's stop talking. <laughs> let's stop talking about high school, and let's actually bring no, our day player on. <laughs> I'm really curious what electives you took. Right. <laughs> Did you have any after-school activities, Victoria? So, uh, so. No. So. Let, let's bring in Chris Guzzo. We're going to show his director's reel show off some of the projects he's worked on and put together, and then we're gonna bring him on and talk to him about that.
check, please. And we're back with Chris Guzzo. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Victoria. How you doing? Good. Did I pronounce your last name right? Guzzo. Guzzo. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> Guzzo, but it's Guzzo, yeah. Guzzo. All right. I'll get it right from here on out. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you got into the whole filmmaking thing. So, I mean, uh, my whole life, I loved movies. I loved certain types of movies, how they made me feel. And um, I was really always interested in what went into the uh, behind the scenes aspect of uh, filmmaking. Um, a couple of years ago, I started out as a production assistant and one of the, um, the jobs I was on, they were shorthanded for grips. So one thing led to another and I went from being a production assistant to being a grip. And then um, I, I started doing a lot of non-union non jobs. From there, I, had, I found an opportunity to get into the uh, Local 52 Union for its major motion uh, pictures for television and movies. So I've been be, uh, I became a grip for the last two and a half years. And um, for, you know, during that time, I've always wrote, wrote short stories and, uh, and different ideas and I've wrote a written a couple of different scripts and um, last year I, I really wanted to give it give it a go and uh, my passion has always been directing my whole life I, I love the idea of directing working with the actors and uh, really taking something that's on paper and conveying it to the audience so I uh, my first short film last year was uh, Family Bond it was about 12 minutes and 47 seconds. It was a uh, drama slash thriller. Um, I like how you said it. It's about 20, 12 minutes and 47 seconds. To be exact. No it's exactly how long it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I worked with some really great actors, uh, John uh, Tierney and uh, Taron Wheeland were the two main stars of that, that film. I'm fortunate enough to say that I got into a, a few film festivals uh, right now. I'm waiting for, it's called Jersey Shore Film Festival. It's coming up this month. I don't know if we're going to actually go to it physically based on the whole uh, COVID-19 situation, but it's just, it's an honor to get into uh, film festivals. And uh, a couple of, I, I would say November, I shot my second, I, I did my second uh, short film called Bad Service which I also wrote and directed. And I'm happy to say that that has gotten into a couple of uh, film festivals as well. So including the uh, Oregon Comedy Film Festival and the Jersey Shore Film Festival. So, you know, right now I haven't worked for a couple of months because obviously the entertainment industry has been uh, shut down. So I've been trying every day to just keep writing and going at uh, different stories. I'm working on a, a television show pilot right now. I'm trying to create it and develop it. I just did a first draft last week um, of the pilot. So I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, I hope that when we get back to work, I could uh, start directing again. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the TV pilot called? Is there a name for the... For the series it, it's called it's called the fort temptation and it's uh pretty much the concept is it's about a book that was created by god and was cursed by the devil so it's about a a priest 
a newly made mother and the uh, re and the reluctant uh, husband that have to suffer the consequences of this book. So more details will come in the future, but uh, I'm pretty excited about that too. That's cool. I wrote a I wrote a comedy short story, a comedy short film. It could almost be like a commercial, like it could really be right. thirty seconds. But I wrote it to be like a six minute short about this cursed book that is just marked death and the librarian says to this kid who reads every book in the library says you can you can buy this book you can't rent it but you can buy it but if you read the last page you'll be cursed and you'll die right so it reads every page but the last page and then it cuts ahead to like 30 years later and he looks at the book and he's like oh i still have this book i'm gonna read the last page i'm an adult now i'm gonna read the book and he goes to the last page and sees the price tag and sees that she ripped them off and it's like a spin on the drama all of a sudden it's a comedy and you'd cut to her in a senior citizen home waving a hundred dollar bill or something, but uh, <laughs> cursed fun. books. That's fun. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the union. I'm curious about how that process happened. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people in the club that are new and the idea of a union, they might not know exactly what it does or what it's for. Uh, but you started working as a grip and then how did that progress to now you're in the union for it? I technically I'm still an applicant for the local 52 union because um, they haven't uh, given out the test yet uh, in the last couple of years. But the good news of being in local 52 is that you get the same rate and you get the same benefits as a union member. And the only difference is that like a, a person with a union card gets priority over a person who's an applicant. But I, every, I mean, not many times in my life has like right time, right place, right, you know, but this time I, uh, I took all these certifications. I went on the website, Local 52, and I just, I, somebody from the gym, her husband actually was a grip and I got into contact with him and he brought me on one of the days in the shoot and I got into the system and uh, eventually it took like a month and a half, two months, and then they started calling me for regular work. So as a grip, there's three different assignments you could get from construction which is building the set then you have rigging which is a rigging grip you usually set up a day or two before um if it's uh for the lights you help with like the big lot bigger lights that aren't you know used immediately on shooting day and then there's shooting grip so i'm working with you know diffusion c-stand sandbags and all the stuff that helps uh camera support and lighting support so it's, it's a pretty cool job you know, it, it, it's awesome. I love being on shooting days where you could see the uh, the actors work. Yeah, I'm sure it's good too to have the bounce back and forth between having to be on set and the stress of being on set. And then another <laughs> day where I'm sure it's still work, you're still busy, but maybe it's not like, oh, we need to get this shot up. Can we change the entire lighting setup to a whole new thing? That puts added stress, you know? So I don't know. I was gonna say that uh, I'm really curious of coming back because especially on a, a major motion picture, there's so many people involved before in pre-production and, and during shooting days. You know, there's sometimes with extras and just all the, all the different departments. Um, I'm really curious of how it's going to play out going back. Aren't we all? I just want to find out <laughs> at this point. Just reopen up. Let's do it. I'm right. Gonna, I need to go back to work. Um, so during quarantine, I've been completely like writer's block can't do it my creative outlet has been this podcast and then like video games 
So like I haven't been doing anything else. So I mean, are you keeping up? Like how much are you writing? Are you finding it more difficult during quarantine, or is it is the quarantine helping you sit down and focus? Sometimes I I wake up and I'm not gonna lie, it's very hard to sit down on the computer, even if there's nothing to do, and and just think. And I uh, during the quarantine, I bought a bunch of these uh, these whiteboards, and I just I just write all these ideas down. What what's helped me a lot is like um, I've watched videos of writers and and to just write. If it's really, really bad, just write something, you know, to to beat that uh, that writer's block. And sometimes I write and it's, you know, it's, sometimes it's garbage and sometimes it's really, it's really good. And there's a lot of times where it's frustrating where I could write a lot and then I go back to it and I was like, oh, I got to change this whole thing because something doesn't work. But I, I, I like to go uh, from an outline mainly before I go into the actual script this this particular one this four temptation i've been rewriting it for the last couple of years and uh, i actually hired a uh, script consultant to this and um and this script i'm kind of writing it backwards so when i the original uh script you know i for the characters they were they were missing the wants the needs some beats some structure and now i'm kind of like going back and like redoing it and filling in the blanks but going forward in the uh, the next movie short or anything I write, I would definitely um, you know get the characters down first, the themes, and uh, and definitely do an outline. Cool. Yeah, that's a little. I I kind Jim, I kind of feel you a little bit on the whole quarantine thing, having a hard time write, especially when like your subject material is like heavier subject material. But there are definitely days where I feel a little more motivated and I get stuff done and then for the next couple of days I do nothing but play video games because I feel like I accomplished something <laughs> so then I don't have yep. to do anything <laughs> I beat that level so I did something yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> so um Chris I gotta ask um you seem to be kind of into the horror thriller genre is that kind of like your main go-to when you write or yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I've, I've written comedy too. And I've, I just wrote, um, during the quarantine, I wrote a 15 page, uh, short of a horror comedy. So I, but I, I do like, like that dark horror thriller on like the side of like hereditary or midsummer fan and, uh, just, just other, you know, classic movies from the eighties and nineties that were horror. But I also, you know, I, I also love drama and comedy, every genre. But, but as far as uh, the, my career, I would like to get into directing horror. Yeah. That's, that's not my, bag, uh, my yeah. cup of tea, but go for it. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not necessarily most... my wheelhouse either, but it's one yeah. of the easier, maybe not easier, but it's, it's easier than doing like an action film or... Right you know, sometimes something else where it's more dramatic and you have to build tension. Horror is easier to do on a more limited budget. So when you're coming out of a very limited budget, I don't know what kind of budgets you're working with, but usually horror is easier to work with sometimes. Right. And, and you don't necessarily have to have power 
or attached to a horror film. A lot of horror films uh, like that I've seen, uh, they usually relatively short budget and they, uh, they would like to crank them out. The thing with a horror film is that it's very short time. So you might have two weeks, three weeks like filming, uh, you know, principal production, photography is about, that's all you got. But it, it all, like, again, it, it all depends on what you're writing. Um, this, this show that I'm writing is more flavored as like a, a drama horror. That. That's why I was saying like Hereditary, that movie I liked in particular because it goes into the actual drama of the character. And there's a lot to be said of like our fears and emotions and that in itself is scary. It's a different type of horror instead of that pop out, you know. Yeah, that's the horror I appreciate because of the when, when I'm sitting in the theater and then all of a sudden one goes, ah! I'm like, fuck this movie, <laughs> I have to go. I, right. I'm like, I'm out. Uh, Paranormal Activity, the first one, I, I guess, got a pass because it was so different. And I went into the theater knowing that they filmed it for like 12 grand and they did it in a weekend. And that was so impressive to me, such a feat to get a feature film like that done in a weekend. And it was so successful that I was like, I'm going to see this movie. But I'm not a big horror person besides that. I Yeah, I know you could reference as many horror movies as you want. I probably won't know any of them. I've seen like a couple and they scarred me. I couldn't sleep for weeks. I am the biggest baby. So I'm not a horror movie fan. I like, I like really cheesy horror. Stuff. Huh? I like cheesy horror movies. Cheesy like, horror movies? Like well, you know what? Versus, uh, Freddy versus Jason. Like it's so bad. It's good. Kind of uh, I like what, to what you're saying, um, I know like horror movies, right? So they scared me, but they've also left some kind of feeling or impression so like i think the most important movies and in drama too is like when you leave that movie theater or you leave your tv and you're thinking about something for a day or two even if it haunts you i just if it leaves some kind of impression and and makes you think i it has done something and it doesn't necessarily have to uh, be successful in the box office to do it either i love a lot of movies that had terrible you know did awful in the box office or they became popular later and you know on dvd but um i'm not i i kind of and my girlfriend like wants me to make films to you know to be successful in this and she cares about me driven and a lot of people around me are like make what what people like you know what i mean but i i don't you can't I don't do that, feel that way i i feel like comment? i would want to like tell a story yeah and, I, I want to tell it like the way I feel, you know, and I want to put that out there instead That's of the way to do it. For example, real quick, that family bond, it's, um, well, it's, it's, uh, it's about having Stockholm syndrome and like the effects of it. I remember my father watched it and he liked everything except the ending because the ending is not happy and he wanted the happy ending. And, that's not what I was trying to show. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, I don't know, you know, there's probably a balance and especially if you get into a uh, higher budget filmmaking where you have to compromise and uh, give the audience what they want. But this was a short and I like to, you know, I guess be an artist. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Your when, story, your, yeah. I mean, when, I, I know when I write, when I first started writing, I wrapped everything up in a nice neat little bow at the end and everything, everyone had like a happy ending or as happy as it could be. 
Um, and it wasn't interesting anymore. It was too easy. You could see what was coming. You saw, you know, you saw the end before you even got there. I think it's a lot more interesting when you either leave it at a cliffhanger or you know that they didn't get what they want, that there are consequences to the choices that you make. If you make a choice, it doesn't mean like in movies, you don't always, you shouldn't always get that payoff. And I think it's a much stronger choice like you're doing to not have a happy ending all the time. And I think you're more likely to be successful if you do the things you're passionate about, because that's going to show through in your work. Whereas, you know, if you do stuff just to become successful, it's not, you know, it's going to look like you didn't care. Good job in doing the things that you want to do. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. The, the big thing is, though, is to get your foot in the door because you guys know how hard it is. So, you know, I, I might have to write that script that everybody will like just so I will be able to write and make what I want down the line. So, like, there's yeah. always that compromise and that conflict, like, within my own self. So, like, yeah, the, the uh, perfect uh, way to talk about it was the Wolverine movies. So they had James Mangold, he directed like the Wolverine, not the really, really bad one, but the other one that was like in Japan and it was okay, it was weird. Like, you know, he had to cut out his own heart or something at some point, it was a little weird, but it was fun and you enjoyed it. And then they told him, look, if you conform to what we're trying to do on this one, like the studio stepping in, whatever, and do what we want to do, the next one, the third and final Wolverine movie, do whatever you want, we'll give you full freedom. So he got his foot in the door, he did what, you know, he bit the bullet. He did what he had to do for the one movie. The next movie, he got to do exactly what he wanted to do. Logan, one of the best movies. I, I, I love that movie. Uh, and it was so critically acclaimed. It was so successful. I think it paved the way, too, for a lot of directors getting their own voice and not being pushed as much by the studio. Well, think about the, to that movie, right? So that was like one of the first successful rated R superhero movies. And then a couple of years later comes The Joker. I know it's about a villain, but it, like you're saying, it paved the way. Yeah. So Deadpool I, too. Huh. Deadpool's another one. Deadpool, right. So, you know, sometimes uh, going against the grain is, is good instead of going with it. You know, it opens up new doors. I think some of the best movies, I, perfect example, Godfather Part 2. They didn't even want it to say Part 2. No movie before Godfather Part 2 was ever called Part Anything. And the way he structured it back and forth, they told him that it was going to be a failure. And, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, he, he trudged on and he didn't listen to the studios. Of, of course, the first movie he made it the way the studio wanted, besides trying to cast Pacino, they didn't want him and he got him in it. But he made, that was more of a structured movie. The second movie was more of a different, something that he never saw before going back and forth. And look at it, it's one of the best movies of all time. Critically acclaimed best movie of all time. Yeah. I mean, if you make the same movie over and over again, people get bored of that. So right. you gotta you gotta do something different. And if the vision you have in your head is really good to you, there's probably a shitload of people that think the same way. So the only way to know, make the film you wanna make how you wanna make it. That's the benefit too. I don't know if you're, you know, writing these things and then pitching them to companies or if you're just saying, Screw it, I'm gonna fund it myself. If you're funding it yourself, don't listen to anybody. Maybe your girlfriend, because then you'd be in trouble. Uh, but she, nice. you know. she let me use her, her house on Mother's Day for my location for my first directorial <laughs> debut. So. Well, then you should do what she says. So. Yeah. 
But other than that, you know, don't listen to anybody. If you're doing your own thing, you're funding your own film, you got to do it the way that you want to do it and get it done. As long as you're not like violating safety guidelines and filming during COVID, <laughs> don't do that. I agree. I agree. So, uh, Chris, what um, going back to your union work and your uh, professional work as a as a grip? What kind of projects have you been on? Uh, well, probably my favorite one that I was on was The Irishman because I'm a huge Martin Scorsese fan. Um, I've worked on. The Marvelous Miss Maisel. I've worked on Orange is the New Black. A lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of shows. Mm -hmm. A lot of shows that have uh, come to New York. Uh, Blacklist. I'm trying to think what else kind of movies. Um, there's a Aretha Franklin movie that's coming out soon that I, I worked on for a few weeks as well. I don't know if that'll be pushed back now for another year or two, but maybe yeah. It looked good when we were filming it. So the the one that I I wish I got on and I, I wasn't chosen for it was the uh, was the Joker. They mm -hmm. shot it in Steiner Studios in Brooklyn. So I I was like praying and hoping that they you know I got on it, but I didn't. But that that movie's nothing short of amazing. Now, how how does that work in the union or in local fifty two? Do you is there like a website that you go to and they're like, we need people for the Joker or do you just get a call and they just they, say- They have a, uh, a hiring hall. So there's a hiring hall that calls me and they'll tell me the call, the key grip and then the time. And you know, as I, after like the first year, you start knowing some crews and different crews like you. And uh, technically, I mean, technically as an applicant, I can't, I have to be assigned by the hall, but guys could uh, start requesting me. So they could call up the hall and say, is Chris available? And then they could uh, assign me to their crew for the next yeah. step. Because a lot but of crews, they stick yeah. together in, the, in bigger projects, and that's why you get films that look similar a lot of the time. So if you have a film by Michael Bay, he's probably, you recognize all of his movies because he's using the same DP or similar DPs or, and they're bringing their whole crew that's pretty much the same movie to movie. Uh, they like working together. So, you know, it's all about finding the crew you want to do stuff with. And if those crews are now reaching out to you and trying to pull you in, that's, that's a great sign. So I'll just say one note as a grip that it's just interesting is that when you're um, on, sh as a shooting grip, when you're filming a movie, as opposed to filming a television show, Television, uh, they just want to crank it out faster. So the lighting setup is much simpler. And when you, um, I was working on with Amy Adams, it was supposed to come out this, this May, actually. I don't know if they pushed it back, called Woman in the Window. And I, I can't remember the DP's name off the top of my head. Very famous DP. I, he made the French movie, uh, Amelie, or I, I forgot what it's called. Do you know what I'm talking Amelie, about? Yeah. Um, okay. And just to light one scene, it took about like two hours, two and a half hours. But mm -hmm. the point is that they really take their time and they shape the light and cut the light and diffuse the light. And it's really, really planned out. Yeah. And, uh, and a shooting day in a movie could go like 15, 16 hours sometimes. So yeah. it's, it's different. <laughs> We, uh, on shorter budget things, people try to move a little faster and sometimes right. you get more of the, the screw it attitude. Like we, we just don't have the time. We have to get shots because 
movie studios can afford to say, all right, let's go another couple of days to get it done right. And on smaller budgets, you can't do that. So you have to get the 15 hours. You have to make the best of it. Otherwise, it's going to be a problem. Um, so what does the future hold for you? I know we're in quarantine right now, but you obviously you want to get your projects off the ground. Is there anything that you know is lined up that you're going to hop on once we're all allowed to shoot again? Or do you know of anything? Um, right now, like I said, I have no idea like what the future holds. I'm just, until then, I'm just going to keep writing and writing. I'm going to send out uh, scripts to different contests, to uh, different uh, festivals. I, the script that I was talking about before, where it was a horror comedy, it's, I, I titled it, It Doesn't Quite Fit. It won um, the Indie Horror Film uh, Screen Contest for short film. So I just, I, I'll try to gain some kind of traction there. And then eventually when, when all this dust settles and we see like what, what we have to do, if we have to wear masks, take temperatures to make a short film, uh, I, I would love, I'm itching to definitely make another one. I probably, my next, if you're going to say my next project, I would like to make a proof of concept for, uh, for the television show that I'm, I'm making. Mm -hmm. So that, that would probably, probably be the, uh, the next project. But until then, I, I still have to rework this. I'm still working on a treatment. And uh, I don't know. I just keep going. I just, you know, sometimes I'll be walking and, people be like oh you chose i was like this is a good idea what what about this and like i'll just you know pose it right there and uh my head's like got 30 40 tabs open at all times so sometimes i gotta like take it out of my head and just put it on the computer <laughs> or write it on the board so i don't have to like hold that with me and and don't forget that's where it starts you got to just put it on paper put it out i i you know it's a writer's tactic if you have writer's block and you have an idea they say just write write anything right if it's bad it doesn't matter because you're going to go back six times you're going to rewrite it you're going to say oh this was stupid and i i wasn't in it when i wrote this it doesn't make any sense but it's a starting off point and it gets you snowballing kind of to having something to actually use that you like i was just going to say is, is if you have something on paper and it, it really stinks what you wrote it's so much easier to go back and like, oh, this is horrible. I could fix that and that. It actually gives you confidence to like go back to your work and say like, it's easier to fix something that's not that good. So it can give you confidence right then if you, if you go take a break, come back the next day or even an hour to come back to this and say, oh, this is what I wrote. Like I can make this better. So it is kind of like a confidence boost just to write something bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's the amount of people too that say, Oh, I have this idea. I'm going to write something and never write something, you know, me. Uh, but you know, I have ideas every day. I'm like, Oh, I just thought of the next star Wars movie. Let me write it down. It's been four months. I haven't written a thing. Well, they're looking for content at Disney. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, I, I could definitely, Seeing another Star Wars movie, I wasn't pleased with the uh, the last trilogy. So please write something great and look. So I, I loved it. Force Awakens. I loved. I thought it was good. It it was a carbon copy of the first. You know, it's the same thing, but I liked it. And then uh, was the next one, The Last Jedi. The last Jedi. That right. can that can eat a pile of poo. I don't care. It was <laughs> uh, people like certain things about it. 
I didn't, but whatever. And then the next one was like bad. Also. Well, they, they just tried to undo everything in the second one. And it's like, no, 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 no. You made your choices. That's the movie that you agreed to put out. And these are the things that you stated in the movie. So instead of using a whole other movie and your only other movie to fix those things, how about you build off of them in a better way instead of just trying to say, no, this movie didn't happen. Let's do this. That's not, you wasted a whole film trying to undo everything that you did in the second one. Yeah. And I think it's too many voices, too many uh, cooks in the kitchen because they just came changing the directors. They shouldn't have given like it to Johnson. I felt like it was ironic that the ending of Rise of Skywalker, there were all these head, these uh, different voices in Kylo's head and Ray's head, and it was just like the like you're saying the movie. There were all these cooks in the kitchen, and it came out like a horrible product. And it, the last movie felt like it was just a bunch of scotch tape put on different holes. They definitely could have did two two more movies at least, maybe not make it a trilogy four movies they needed an extra movie in there to fix it if they were yeah. going in a different direction well i mean they're calling it the first nine movies you know with the exception of uh solo and what was the other one rogue one rogue one with the exception of those they're all the nine movies are the skywalker saga so they're definitely making more uh i forget who was they had the game of thrones writers were attached to do the next trilogy but they apparently yeah. weren't showing up to work. So they got let go. So I, I don't know. I think someone else is already lined up. It might be Taika Waititi. It is. Who did Thor Ragnarok. Um, yeah. You know, he's under Disney's umbrella. So they, they brought him in. He's going to do something Star Wars. So who knows? You know, Star Wars is definitely not going to go away like that. Um, I'll write something. You know, you know some people at Disney. You know, they're looking for content. I'll hit you up when it's done. <laughs> So, Chris, why did you choose Goodfellas as your movie to chat about on the podcast? A simple answer is that it just has this ability, rewatchability. I could watch that movie over and over, no matter when it's on, what time it's on. If it's on, I'm watching it. And I just, I love the characters. I love the... <laughs> It's like watching a train wreck, but I can't turn away of this this character, Henry Hill. You got Jimmy Conway, the Joe Pesci playing uh, Tommy, Paul Savino playing Paulie, and Lorraine Bracco playing uh, Karen. I love gangster movies, and Scorsese really pulled off in this movie where, and, and, and the DP too, is that the, the way that it's shot, it feels like you were just hanging out with these guys for like the next two and a half hours. And a lot of movies don't pull that off. But a lot of times, like, even in the writing process, right, a lot of uh, people want you to write these scripts. And they, like we were saying before, the character, your protagonist, that you need an arc and you need them to have wants and needs. And at the end of the story of the uh, hero's journey, they learn something and they change, right? Why I like Goodfellas is because he really doesn't change. Henry Hill does not change in this movie. Externally, he does. He has to rat out his friends. He said he would never rat out. And the life, the lifestyle's over. But at the end, he doesn't have any kind of moral lesson. And I feel like a lot of Scorsese films, it just shows people 
they are who they are and they and they're not going to change and that kind of filmmaking i love too and he gets to like stay under the, the protective umbrella of these guys were real so like nobody's going to be like oh well you know your character d didn't do this and didn't hit this beat he could just go back and say this is a real story just like casino was a real story yeah and based on the true story i, I appreciate right. that too but um yeah, I, I just, I love that it's, uh, it really doesn't follow any kind of, um, any kind of like correct story structure. And it's, and it's just awesome for it. You know, a lot of times they say the narrator, having a narrator is lazy, lazy writing, and it's better to show it and not tell. And I love Ray Liotta as a narrator. I wish I could have him narrate my life as I walk around from day to day. <laughs> Just awesome, awesome voice. And uh, everything in this movie, I just, I feel like works. Chris was sitting there doing his podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you suggested it. I hadn't actually seen this one and I felt like a bad Italian for not watching it. Um, so I'm glad I finally did. Um, and I ended up loving it. So thank you for the suggestion. I love this. Yeah, I love it too. Um, well, Chris, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We're going to um, put all your links and everything at the end. And um, we're excited to see everything that you end up doing. Thank you, guys. It was an amazing podcast. Thank you for having me on. And I would love to come on in the future. And I would love to see that Star Wars movie that you're going to make. I'm, so, I'm going to be pitching it soon. It's going to happen. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Victoria. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Chris. Take care, guys. All right. That was Chris Guzzo. Thank you for coming on, Chris. We appreciate it. Talking to you about all your projects, being in the local 52, creativity during quarantine, and my lack of being able to write anything right now. <laughs> I'm facing this serious writer's block, and I don't know if any other people are doing it, but if, if you guys all want to get together with just all the other writer's block people, we'll form a block of our own. We'll all just be not writing together. That'd be great or terrible. Um, either way, uh, Chris suggested Goodfellas as his movie of choice. And let's talk about it. Victoria, first impressions. You already said you liked it. Yes, I do. I, I like it a lot. Um, I Obviously, it's been referenced so much in popular culture at this point that I had a very strong idea of what I was getting into um, when I watched it, even though I had never seen it before. But finally having watched it, you know, and having all those, oh, that's where those jokes come from. That's where that reference, that's where that family guy reference comes from. Or see, I finally get really good feathers cool. from Animaniacs. I finally get the good feathers references. Um, <laughs> so good, by the way. The family so guy good. ruined it for me because of the scene where Peter picks up Joe Pesci by one hand and just hold them and says, remember in the 90s when this was a tough guy and he's like four feet tall? I was like, fuck, I can't even look at him like he's a tough guy now. Even well, after like freaking Goodfellas, I can. I still can't. It's ruined for me. It was right, like, and I'm only like five feet tall, so, but yes. still. <laughs> I don't know if Joe Pesci could fight you and take you, but, but we're not. Bring we're it, Joe Pesci. Bring it. <laughs> I want to see that fight. I'll pay to see that fight. 
<laughs> live, coming to you live from the AFC podcast, Joe Pesci versus Victoria Bragnito. Take your bets. Hand, by the way, are you going to be able to throw a mean right hook at Joe Pesci? Well, considering it's my left hand and I'm a righty, ah, I think I'll be good to go. You got him. One hand behind your back. Done. Mm. You heard it, Joe Pesci. One hand behind <laughs> her back. She's going to take you. Uh, I, I like this movie. I mean, it was it was fun. I, I liked all the narration portions of it. Those kind of added something to it where it was just kind of like inside the mind of this one gangster who, and every time these movies come out, especially by Martin Scorsese, and they all kind of have the similar format. They're very similar. Um, there's always one guy at the center of it all who's doing bad things, but internally he's a good person. and. I like these movies. And I think Wolf of Wall Street is a little bit of a standout because this was a bad person, or at least a good person at first, who like, it was like he was breaking bad. He like went and became a bad person, did all these illegal things that weren't illegal at the time, but eventually they were like, you're doing things that are bad. Um, and he did a lot of illegal things. He was doing drugs and nonstop and all this other stuff. But that's Wolf of Wall Street. This is Goodfellas. Well, do you I, I honestly think Henry was a good person? I, it, it's tough because I feel like he had a good conscience, but at the same time, he was also a gangster. So, like, like he knew when murder was right and wrong, but he had a different definition of, like, most people. Like, you and I just need to be like, murder's always wrong. And he's like, no, in the right context, <laughs> it makes sense. Like, he had a code. Hmm. And I feel like he had a better code than Joe Pesci's character. Joe yeah. Pesci's character was like, oh, this guy told me to go fuck myself, and then I shot him to death. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. I think it was, you know, I, I appreciated the film because, I mean, you know, recently we watched uh, A Bronx Tale, mm -hmm. and that film did kind of, it was... I guess, quote unquote, the golden age for, um, for the mafia and for the mob and gangsters. And it was really glorified and it looked, you know, it was, they looked beautiful and they looked, you know, they looked, um, you know, the, people considered them celebrities essentially. And what I really appreciated about Goodfellas is that it starts that way, you know, seeing, you know, the power that they have and kind of being enticed by that and, yeah, the, and the money and, you know, the freedom and the respect and all of that stuff. But then watching that as you move up higher in the food chain, watching that kind of devolve and watching your character, you know, as you become further into it, watching yourself unravel and the people around you and realizing that like, yes, this is a gang and this is, you know, we're family and there's nothing more important than family, but also your family are the ones who will kill you without any warning. Yeah. Because slighted them or you did, you know, um, frankly, I'm amazed that they let Henry live for, you know, that he was able to make it out of it. But um, I think that Scorsese really did a beautiful job of like, this is how the world viewed them here. And then as 
you know, as time went on and, you know, you could really see the cracks in, in the foundation and you could see how power corrupts them and you can see how all of this goes to their head and they think they're untouchable. You know, it's, I think it was really brilliantly written. I love the timing and how it, you know, you start in the middle of the film and then you jump backward and then you go forward. Um, I think that was really great. The opening pulls you in immediately. Yeah. Um, because the, the idea of just rolling up with some dude in your trunk, that the film, I, I've talked about it before on the podcast, this film I shot called Early Bird, that's similar in the way it starts in, in that the first shot is the guy opening a trunk and you don't think anything of it, but then the camera flips around and you realize, oh, there's a dude in his trunk. And that's just like, mm, that's not where people belong. And you're like, oh, something's up. And it immediately intrigues you. You want to know why this guy's in the trunk. Uh, Unfortunately, then that's when Joe Pesci pulls out a fucking Bowie knife and just stabs the guy like six times. So, yeah, they they don't hide anything about like you know what you're in for from the beginning of the film. Yeah, it sets the tone for the whole thing. That's it. This is it. Well, um, thing. I feel like the movie had a tone, and then Joe Pesci had a tone of a, of his own. He was in a whole other bracket, mm-hmm. and I think that's what they wanted to do at some point too because. They knew when they were telling the story that basically the general idea is that these three guys came up together uh, and that Joe Pesci was the only full-blooded Italian, which just meant that he could be a mob boss if he wanted to, if he got to that point and progressed. He could be and made. He could he be, be made. Man. And the other two guys, I kind of chuckled at one point because they look over and they're like, a bunch of Irish guys over there. And Robert De Niro looks at him and goes, there's only one Irishman here. And I was like, ah, Irishman. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's because they're not full-blooded Italians. They could never become mob bosses, but they mm-hmm. could be right-hand man of Joe Pesci, who was a fucking lunatic. Yeah. But this movie was fun. I enjoyed it. It's obviously a roller coaster. The performances are great. The acting is great. Mm-hmm. It was. I was looking for the ongoing message of the film whether it was, you know, money is bad or drugs are bad or, you know, be good to your family. Like, who, who was the hero of this story? And I don't think there was one. And they're really, the, the heroes of the story are like the FBI who caught all these criminals in the end. So it's, you know, and then he goes into witness protection. I think, too, because this is all based on a true story, you can't really flub how it happened either. Because these people are like, uh, that's not what happened. You know, maybe they can't say that from jail, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they took a little bit of creative license, obviously. And they, the only name that stayed the same was Henry Hill. All the other names were changed um, slightly. Um, well, Henry and Karen, they were the only ones that were the same names. But... Well, he's in witness protection now anyway. He's dead. He's dead now? He passed away, yeah. He, I mean, he was in witness protection, um, and then he was released from the program. He and Karen got divorced. He married someone else. They got divorced. And then for the last, he kept getting into trouble for, like, he didn't ever really leave the life. I mean, I think right at the end of the Scorsese film, when you see... Ray Liotta as Henry Hill and he like 
doesn't regret anything he did. He just misses the life and wishes he could go back to that life because that's all he knew and that's all he wanted. When you see that the real life Henry Hill kept getting, you know, narcotics charges and things like that, you see how true it is and how, like, the only way out of that life, you know, according to myth and lore, is death. Yeah. You can't, you don't ever really leave it. It's for one um, of your best friends to just silently walk up behind you and murder the crap out of you. Which is how pretty much all the characters in this movie go out, with the exception of Henry Hill. And then the other ones kind of rot in jail for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't don't sell drugs, kids. <laughs> that's pretty much, I guess that's the moral. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> it didn't work out for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of stuff, too, in this movie, like, just yeah. ongoing character development. I think it was... And it, it was all really well put together. I don't know, maybe I just wasn't feeling it as much. I still liked it, but I, I wasn't super into it. Maybe just because I'd so recently seen a Bronx Tale, and it's so I, mean, I, yeah. I see so many similarities, and I know there's a lot of differences, but I could see it at the beginning how similar they 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 started out very similar, but I think they definitely both took very different paths. Yes, it started off with a kid in an Italian neighborhood idolizing the local mobsters and you know wanting to and putting themselves in that life. You know, you had Lilo Brancato from A Bronx Tale working at the bar as a kid, and then Robert De Niro pulls him out of it. Whereas in this film, you have Ray Liotta working and, you know, running errands for them, and then, uh, the cafe. yeah, then they keep him in it instead of, you know, um, Jimmy, Robert De Niro keeps him in it instead of the opposite of The Bronx Tale. But it, you know, I think they they do start in a very similar fashion, but they, go off completely different do you have a favorite line from this film is there like one line that stands out that really is like oh this stole like this is what i remember like for me the line where so the guy runs up that just got shot and he runs Uh to the front door and henry's it's young henry at that point he runs over with a bunch of napkins and like aprons and he tries to cover up his gunshot wound before the ambulance gets there and the guy goes you just ruined eight aprons Yes. Wow, yeah. What are you doing? Leave him. Leave him on the sidewalk. Who cares? You wasted them on him. Essentially, you eight aprons. It cost me eight aprons, and it's like, dude, he's dying. And it was just kind of like it set a tone for that character and for that kind of vibe. Is that they don't give a shit about anything, but themselves and their direct family. Mm-hmm. And that that to me was like really fun and cool and interesting. I like that line, for me. I don't know if you have a favorite line, or because there's so many. In this movie. Yeah, I don't know if I have a particular line. I know Joe Pesci's so many of them. I, I he's I'm hilarious, funny. terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think oh, one of my funny. favorite scenes. My Rita funny. <laughs> I think one of my favorite scenes was when after Karen pulls a gun on Henry because she knows he's and she's like going nuts because he's cheating on her. And then Henry leaves and is staying with his girlfriend when Jimmy and Polly both come to the apartment to try. Like, it's so funny how they have such strange moral compasses. And they're like, 
you can have your girlfriend. No one's saying don't have your girlfriend, don't live your life the way you want, but you're not gonna get divorced. That's not what we do. What? <laughs> you it's kill people, home. you steal money, you launder drugs, at least some of these people do. I know Polly didn't want to. You cheat on your wives, but you don't get divorced. That's not something we do. That's the thing. Everybody has their own weird moral compass that goes in its own way. And I think Polly's moral compass was drugs are bad, stay away from drugs. And everyone else in the film, all the other main characters were like, I kind of want to get into drugs because there's so much money in it. So they did it anyway. And that wound up causing them a bunch of trouble. Yeah. So, but it was kind of funny how everybody who got near this guy who had this deranged moral compass got wrapped up in his deranged immoral life even his to the point where his babysitter was supposed to make calls for him and get like delivery times and inventory and stuff of course she screwed up and that's what got them all caught in the end mm -hmm. but it's well, crazy I, that even that person became well, part I, of the criminal life and well and i find it really interesting that all the characters always feel like it's not going to happen to them through mm -hmm. the whole thing like they can do whatever they want and nothing is ever going to happen to them even though they they are involved in it happening to other people in their circles so i the willful ignorance that they have to believe that they're above all of this other stuff that's happening to them is fascinating to watch because you yeah. you as an audience member are watching and going i this is a train wreck about to happen like i you are going down the same path don't think for one second that Jimmy's not going to kill you if he th thinks you're a danger to him. But, and right up until the very end, Ray Liotta doesn't think that. <laughs> yep. It's I, don't, I don't think he thinks it until he got caught and is in the police station and they're bringing in boxes of evidence and putting it down in front of him and all the and people he's ever like ever seen and they're just hiking them all in he's seeing them one at a time and the cops are asking questions and it all none of it matters he's just like i see all this shit it's all in one room now and it all kind of set in for him then and uh yeah and even too when they said like he, he was like i got a rat i have to he, he tried to justify it and word it so that he i'm like i'm not a rat i was just doing what i had to do to survive and yeah. he found a new way to justify doing things and finding his own moral compass and just his code was just manipulated by circumstance. Well, I mean, I don't, I feel like that code doesn't actually like, it doesn't exist. Like, you know, it's nothing's more important than family, but yeah, obviously making money and being powerful is more important than family because you're willing to screw your other people for it. You're willing to rat out other people for it and you're willing to, kill other people for it so i don't know if any of that moral i think maybe that that those family codes only actually existed for like Polly. i think is like the only one i could see actually following that code yeah I, I feel like any of those characters there was the one scene where the restaurant owner tried to bill joe pesci's what, what's joe pesci's character's name i keep calling him joe tommy, tommy. he tried to give tommy the bill which was like $7,000 because he'd been coming there forever. Yeah. And uh, he's like, the whole business was going to go under. And Tommy at one point said, 
all the business I give you, you're going to hand me a bill? It's like, yeah, that's how it works. That's how. Yeah, because you didn't pay for any of it. <laughs> uh, and I mean, they're tipping people like crazy. They're throwing 20s in everybody's pockets, but they're not paying for the bill. So it's like, mm, what are you doing? So he winds up having to go to Polly and be like, help me. How do I figure this out? He's not paying the bill. Polly's like, I don't He kind of becomes like a partner of the restaurant. In the end, it destroys the guy's whole business. Yeah. But I don't know. So Polly's moral compass, eventually he's like, I'll help you. But it's, it's like signing a death sentence. Mm-hmm. He's eventually going to just take over your whole restaurant. I mean, the story was great it was based off of a true story of henry hill um and i think it was beautifully shot it's very very visually beautiful film um i love the parts where the camera was an actual character and everybody kind of broke that fourth wall and looked at the camera uh like when they're panning through the through the restaurant and they're naming off all the people it's one of the things Scorsese does really well is setting up all their characters to like have a thing where mm-hmm. uh, they'll call him Johnny two times because he always says things two times. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got to go put stuff in. I got to put, put money in the meter, money in the meter. He says it twice. Interesting little tidbit, but it makes you feel like you're more a part of that world and that the characters are like interacting with you and talking to you. The part where Ray Liotta gets up off the stand and the jury and he actually talks directly to the camera. Yeah, that that threw me off a little bit, actually. I'm not sure I was a big fan of that at the end. Because the whole time, as a narrator, he was it was just his voice. And mm-hmm. then at the end, all of a sudden, he breaks the fourth wall and addresses... I think they him. only did that twice. They only did it when they panned through the restaurant, and they talked to all the pe- different people, and all the people said hi to the camera or whatever. Right, but you didn't actually see... I think if they were going to do that with Ray Liotta, they should have done it throughout the whole film of him breaking off and talking to you, talking to the camera, you're talking to the camera. And then Wall Street did that very well because they did it a lot throughout the movie. Right. I think that would have been quite a bit. I think they needed to do that more in Goodfellas for it to work. But I mean, obviously. But the argument. Yeah, I mean, the argument could be said that it made it more powerful because it's like the one time he chose to do it was like right at the end when everything was falling over. But I think it actually pulled me out of it because at first I thought he was talking to the jury because of the way that the camera was set up and the angle and everything. I thought he was just talking to the jury and then he gets up and he walks out of the thing. So I was taken aback by him being so not connected with the the world that he was in and being able to kind of step out and not be a part of it. and I also, I didn't understand the Joe Pesci coming back and shooting at the camera right at the end. I, I didn't really understand that too much, but. When did he come back? He came back and shot at the end? Yeah, right after Ray Liotta goes back into the house when he's in the suburbs. Um, there's a shot of Joe Pesci shooting straight at the camera. He does like five shots and then it's credits. Ah. Uh, I think just to like wrap it up, sometimes just it's almost like a, closing credits thing transition into the credits i don't know um that that would those would be my only real criticisms of it um but you know i think that acting was fantastic um the movie made me want to eat pasta because they're just the whole time half the movie they're like making sauce while they're doing it 
So I, I felt was, like I was at Sunday dinner with my family. It was fantastic. I, you could smell it. You could smell the food. Right. I mean, it. I feel like all these movies, Bronx Tale did the same thing. Remember, we, we walked out of Bronx, or we walked away from the podcast for Bronx Tale. We were like, all right, I'm going to go make pasta. Because that was, no, we did that for the spaghetti western because we were talking about spaghetti. <laughs> that's also true, but I think I made pasta all three times. <laughs> probably, I'm probably gonna make pasta now after this. Right. Um, uh, but I, it did really well. It, it, you know, it almost doubled its budget domestically. Um, it had a budget of 25 million, and then it walked away with a domestic box office of 46.8 million. It was. It won a lot of independent awards, um, especially at Venice Film Festival where it um, premiered. And then it won Directors Guild of America, or no, it was nominated for Directors Guild of America. It was nominated for a lot of BAFTA awards, Golden Globe Awards, it was nominated for a lot. Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Film Editing, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress, Lorraine Bracco. And Joe Pesci actually won for Best Supporting Actor, which he should have. He was fantastic. He was great. He was definitely a standout. One thing that I got surprised with was the fact that Samuel L. Jackson's in this movie. I completely forgot. Yeah, it's such a bit part, too. He's it's such, such a, a small role. It must have been, too, at a point. I, I don't think his career had really blown up at that point. Because when did, when did Coming to America come out? That was his first role. I'm not sure when that came out. That was 80s, right? Late 80s? I, mid 80s? Mid 80s? I'm not sure. Coming to America, he played the the robber who came to the store. He was trying to rob McDowell's, I believe it's called, the McDonald's knockoff. And he walks in, and it's Samuel L. Jackson trying to rob the place, and then Eddie Murphy trips him up and stops the robbery and stuff like that. Coming to America was 1988. Yeah, 88. This was 90. And then I think Jurassic Park was the next thing Samuel L. Jackson did. And then he just blew up from there. So, but the fact that he was in the movie is kind of crazy. Um, that took me by surprise. I was like, oh, look who it is. I mean, I'd seen this movie before, but it's such a small part that I forgot, straight up forgot about it. Mm -hmm. um, Goodfellas is also number 94 on the American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Movies list. Uh, and it's, it's on a bunch of lists. It's got a ton of awards. It's goes down in history as one of the greats i just i don't know maybe i wasn't in the mood for it i still enjoyed it like i wouldn't give it a bad rating or anything but for me all of scorsese's type of movies and all the gangster movies they all blend together and you know i don't know i feel like you got to add something very significant to it like at one point so i was trying to write i was trying to get a job at disney as a writer and I submitted a script idea, and it was basically Goodfellas, but there's another faction of gangsters, but they're also vampires. And it I was think you told me about this script. I think I did pitch, I tried to pitch it to you when I was having like a loose idea of what it was. Essentially, it was like that there's these Italian-American gangsters in the 70s living their lives, doing their thing, basically the plot of Goodfellas, but also there was this rival gang shows up and they're all happen to be vampires. That's it. <laughs> that was the plot. Uh, but I wrote out a whole treatment and sent it to Disney and they said, leave us alone. <laughs> so it wasn't great. It was, it was really dark. So it was definitely not the script for Disney. Disney would not have wanted it, but you know, 
it wasn't I didn't put as much effort or time into that like I, I maybe wrote it for like a couple weeks and then I was like ah this is bad I'm not liking this and I, I gave up on it sometimes when you're writing you you think you have this great idea but you have fractions of an idea and you're missing all the other pieces I, I might come up with something or I might see a movie and go that's what I need for this and pull it pull it together but as of right now it's just like it would have been even if it like got picked up or was made or whatever it would have been like a weird blend of like Italian American gangsters and 28 weeks later and just wouldn't have worked I needed to find that cohesive piece in the middle to like put it together sometimes it's a good actor sometimes it's a piece of writing that makes it all tie in or another element but I couldn't figure it out and I didn't have the money to figure it out anyway so well maybe if you get off of your quarantine uh writer's block something will will come back to you especially right. with all the uh gangster movies we've been watching <laughs> right well maybe i'll do star wars vampires huh yeah huh? jedi but they suck your blood <laughs> uh why do i feel like uh, Lucasfilm and Disney are going to be like knocking at your door like no like they heard it because they're our corporate overlords they're, and they're, they're already like, here they're, I'm right. sleeping at the window. <laughs> and the podcast is over <laughs> we and never hear from Jim Galizia again <laughs> right I just get there, there's going to be like a cane that comes in you know like a theater cane they just pull, pulls you off. <laughs> they yank me out they're going to start playing me out with music it's going to be bad uh you ever, you ever have that happen? Have you ever tried to write something and then halfway through it, you were like, this is terrible. Why am I doing this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. Please tell us about your failure. Tell no, <laughs> I'm not. You might be willing to share. I'm not. <laughs> hey, anything can turn into greatness. You know, you might write something six times and think, wow, this is garbage. But then you write it the seventh time and it clicks and it works. That's how writing works. You never, we, Chris was talking about it where he writes something and then he has to go back to it and keep going back to it. And even if it's bad, you can use it as a jumping off point and make it good. So. Right. If you keep coming back to it, I didn't go back to them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Those ideas have stayed in the drawer away. <laughs> Maybe they'll come out vampire? one day. I mean, none of them had vampires in them, but still. <laughs> vampires is a, uh, as soon as you say vampires, people are like Twilight. Yeah. They equate it to Twilight, and it's just like, vampires were cool so long before Twilight. They Twilight were. not cool. They were, but what happened was no one did vampires well. Like, they had Blade. And then they had like interview with a vampire, which Marvel is doing Blade again. Yes. Um, and then they had um, what was the the series with Underworld? Underworld um, Kate and Um, But like, there wasn't really like a super lasting. There was another one. Uh, I forget. It was a series. It was. It, it went pretty long. Um, I just don't remember. I wasn't super into it. But, you know, there's vampires is another thing where every couple of years they're like, here's another one. Here's a new take on it. Mm -hmm. Zombies, vampires, monster movies. They just keep pumping them out, churning them out every once in a while. Um, gangster movies, same thing. 
Scorsese every like four or five years is like, here's another one. It's the same. Well, but the thing is, I think, um, cause I have, I'm working on a, a gangster series, uh, writing one. And, you know, I think it's just one of the interesting things about the content of a mobster film is at the mafia never completely goes away. What's interesting is how they adapt to the new restrictions that are put on the way that they make money, the illegal way that they make money. Um, and they honestly, they're not like, we can only make money if it's illegal. Obviously they, they just want to make as much money as possible and make sure that they have power and they have respect. That's their bag. That's what they do. Whether it's, you know, back in the 20s and 30s with prohibition or you get into, you know, drugs in the 70s and 80s and gambling and all of this stuff, they will always find a way to make money. So what's interesting is trying to set them in different time periods and figure out where they're at and what they're doing. So even though we don't hear as much about them anymore and it seems like that they've lost steam, they never completely, completely go away. Right. So, Just like vampires. Yes. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode where we talked about vampires and mobster movies and a little bit about our history in high school and uh, middle school. Uh, for just a little our, bit about Chris Guzzo and the movie he suggested. You know, just a little bit. We're really yeah. into the subject matter in this episode. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for listening. Again, please like, follow, and subscribe so that you can stay up to date on all the episodes. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Yes, and thank you to our day player, Chris Guzzo, for coming on, talking to us about his film career, The Local 52, uh, the movies he's trying to direct and write, and for his film suggestion, Goodfellas. I am Jim Galizia. And I'm Victoria Fragnino. We'll catch you guys next time.